We're going to be looking at Psalm 73 this morning. We're going to be looking at the entire Psalm, but I'm going to read only a small portion of the Psalm to begin with. It'll come up for us on screen. Uh, Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell all of your works. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for just the grace and the joy of coming together as the church gathered. And we pray, Lord, as we come under your word, would you unite our hearts that we might worship Christ Jesus as the one who is the preeminent among all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, a leading worship leader named Asaph, uh, who served under King David, uh, he wrote this psalm. Uh, Asaph was in charge of worship under King David, and he wrote uh, quite, a few, uh, quite a few psalms. Uh, the verses we just read gives us a sense of how deeply Asaph was resting in God. Asaph was fully, deeply content in God. Listen to his words. Listen to the song he wrote, verse 25. God, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Asaph was wholly devoted to God. Verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. His hope was firmly set on God. Verse 28, I have made the Lord my refuge. Asaph was deeply secure in God. Asaph was greatly joyful and deeply content in God. And that is a place we long to be in. This space of, of high devotion and deep contentment is where every one of us, we long to be. However, living our lives and building our careers in a city like Mumbai, we know this is not the case. Uh, living in Mumbai, we know that our souls can often be restless and distracted. Our hearts can often be tired and unhappy. So how do we go from the tired discontentment of our souls to the restful contentment in God that Asaph is experiencing. And this is what this psalm invites us to see. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. How do we go from the tired discontentment of our souls to the restful contentment in God that Asaph experienced? Um, the narrative and the flow of the answer to the question is not what you think it is. And there is a twist in the tale. And we're going to uncover that as we look at three things in this psalm. 
First, we're going to look at the agonizing question that Asaph wrestled with. Uh, we're going to look at the life-changing answer he received. And we're going to look at the life-changing experience he went through. The agonizing question, the life-changing answer, and the life-changing experience. So let's start with the first thing, the, the agonizing question. And here's the surprising part of the answer I was hinting at earlier. Asaph did not write this psalm because he was content, devoted, and sure. He, he wrote this psalm because he was confused, frustrated, disappointed, and sinful. He wrote the psalm because not because he was content, he wrote the psalm because he was confused and frustrated. Asaph wrote the psalm from a place of doubt. He actually wrote the psalm from a place of almost falling away from his faith in God. And you're going to see all of this as we unpack uh, the psalm today. If you read the first few verses of the psalm, you will see that Asaph actually began this journey from a place of frustration and, and bitterness and confusion and doubt. Look at verses 2 and 3. But as for me, Asaph says, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is shocking. Asaph is telling God that he is jealous of wicked people who seem to be successful in life. Let's, let's read more of what Asaph wrote, uh, verses 4 and verse 5. But they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Ungodly people are so successful, O oh God. Wicked people seem to be so prosperous. This is what Asaph is crying out to God. They have no problems. They have no troubles. COVID didn't seem to bother them. They, have no, they face no hardships. They're growing richer. They seem happier. They're getting promotions. They're getting better jobs. And Asaph is bitter at the success of wicked people. He is confused. He is shaken. And he is jealous because wicked people are successful in life. Why are bad people, or at least not so good people, prosperous and successful in life? It's a question that we all wrestle with at, at some level or the other. Isn't there that, that one obnoxious, arrogant guy who throws his weight around your office and gets away with it all the time? He's the guy who gets promoted. It could be a woman also. They may be gender neutral here. He's the guy who gets promoted. He's the guy who gets more power. Or haven't we all had, had a boss who is quick to take credit for our success and even quicker to pass on the failure, his failure to us, pass on the blame for his failure to us. Haven't you wondered why it is that the most pushy and the most ruthless and the most heartless people get ahead in their careers. 
you know, as followers of Jesus, we are kind and we are helpful and we are accommodating and we are reasonable, but we always get overlooked at, for the promotion. Why is it that pushy people get ahead and nice people are left behind? That's a question we wrestle with. And this is kind of the question that Asaph was also wrestling with. You know, for Asaph, this question was not a passing thought. This question really bothered him. The question left Asaph bitter. This made him jealous of wicked people, of ungodly people, who seemed to be getting all the success and prosperity in life. Asaph was so perturbed, so upset, so bitter. He was so shaken by the question that for a moment, it seemed as if he was going to lose his faith. And in verse 2 that we read, he confessed that his feet had almost stumbled. But look at verses 12 and 13. He says, Behold, these are the wicked always at ease. They increase in riches. And then verse 13. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. What is the use of being a follower of Christ? What is the use of my devotion to Christ? Asaph is asking God. If selfish and and pushy and wicked and arrogant people are the ones who are getting ahead in their careers, what's the point of me believing in Jesus, coming to church, being generous, reading the Bible? What's the point of my walk with Christ if, if it is the wicked and ungodly who seem to be success and prosperous in life? That's what Asaph was asking God, is asking God in this psalm. Um... We may not always ask God this question, but we may be at risk of doing something worse. We may be at risk of becoming like these people. Rather than ask God, why is this happening like Asaph did, we might just become like these people that we envy as Asaph did. As I was sharing last week, so often, so often, all of us, myself first, all of us, we live as Christians on Sundays, but we become just like everybody else Monday to Friday. We are kind and loving on Sundays. Well, at least we try to be, but we do tend to become cold and pushy and and ruthless from Monday to Friday. We may not be cold and scheming, sure, but at the very least, aren't we not selfish and, and, and striving. Think about it. The question that Asaph is agonizing with and the question, the same question that bothers even us quite often, is this question not changing us and making us like them? And that's the first question that I wanted to, wanted to uh, invite us to see in this passage, the agonizing question. That brings us to the second thing that happened after Asaph started voicing his frustrations to God. And that's the life-changing answer. Asaph found an answer to this perplexing question. And the answer is right here in this passage, verses 16 to 18. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, Then I discerned their end. Truly, you you set them in slippery places. 
you make them fall to ruin. The agonizing question weighed heavily in Asaph's heart. It, it burdened him greatly until he went to the sanctuary of God. And there in the sanctuary of God, he found the answer. The answer is not evident at first, but it is there. The answer may make us even a little uncomfortable. Why are wicked people so prosperous? Asaph asked God. And in the sanctuary of God, he received an answer, and that's in verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. That's the answer Asaph gets. The success of wicked people is a slippery place. The success of wicked people will lead them to ruin. This is the answer that Asaph receives in the sanctuary of God. But how? How is the success of wicked people a slippery slope? The answer is a simple one. The more successful and pushy and ruthless someone becomes, the more proud and hardened their heart becomes. And as a result of this, they're less likely to see their sin and feel the need for a savior. The success of wicked people hardens their heart and prompts them to reject, to turn a blind eye, to turn their hearts against their own need for a savior. And that's what is playing out. Look at verses 9 and 11. They set their mouths against the heavens and they tongues struts through the earth and they say how can god know is is their knowledge in the most high wicked people who are successful and prosperous will over time become so arrogant and so proud that they will defy god in heaven sometimes this can happen to believers too we may not reject Christ outright, but quite often success can harden our hearts. And in our success, we are all vulnerable. Every one of us, myself first, we're all vulnerable to ignore Christ in our success. Like Asaph, we may feel jealous about wicked people who are extremely successful in life, but God is reminding us that their success is a slippery slide, taking them further and further away from eternal life. This will be their ruin in the end. And so as followers of Christ Jesus, rather than be jealous of them, we're called to feel sad for them. We're called to feel a burden for them. And we're called to pray for them. You see, this life is not everything. This life is not the end. There is more. There is eternal life. But this eternal life is available only through Christ Jesus. It is available only through Christ Jesus because it was only Jesus who was sinless and yet died on the cross and rose again from the dead to atone for every one of your sins and mine and the sins of everyone who would believe in him. 
And so this is the life-changing answer that Asaph discovered. When he saw, when he began to see earthly success from an eternal perspective, everything changed. When he saw the eternal reality, he began to feel no longer jealous. He started moving towards a place of deep contentment in God. And when Asa went into the sanctuary of God, he not only received a life-changing answer, he also went through a life-changing experience. And that's the third thing we're going to look at this morning from the psalm, a life-changing experience. What did Asa experience in the sanctuary of God? What was it that happened in the sanctuary that led Asaph away from bitter jealousy and frustration into a place of deep contentment in God? And this psalm tells us exactly what happened. That's in verses 21 to 24. When my soul was embittered, Asaph says, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast toward you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. You know, Asaph may have been a great leader, but his heart was messy, just like yours and mine. Uh, he was the worship leader for the entire nation of God, and yet he was, his, he was harboring such wretched doubt and jealousy in his heart. And so, so entertaining all this doubt, entertaining all this envy, when he enters God's sanctuary, God should have rebuked him. Should he not? At the very least, at the very least, God should have at least chided him. In Asaph's own words, he says, I was brutish and arrogant. I was like a beast before God, an untamed beast, rebellious and refusing to submit. God should have rebuked him. God should have said, I made you the leader of a nation. How dare you behave like this? Fall in line. Behave like a leader. You've got to do better than this. That's not what God did. Look at how God deals with Asaph in verses 23 and 24. Nevertheless, God says, I am continually with you. He's Asaph says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you, Asaph says. You hold my right hand. You guided me with your counsel and afterward you will receive me to glory. The first thing that God did when Asaph entered his presence with all this doubt in his heart, with all this jealousy and envy in his heart, the first thing that God did was to hold Asaph's right hand. God held Asaph's right hand and he came near to him. He comforted Asaph first, even before he guided him in his own counsel, as his verse says. His was a tender gesture of love and comfort. Asaph's soul was an angst. God comforted him. Asaph was angry and bitter. God calmed him. God held his right hand. And as, and as Asaph says, God was near him. And then gently, God counseled him and God guided him. You see, Asaph was wrong in every sense 
But God did not punish him. God loved him. Asaph experienced grace. God did not punish him for what he did. God loved him despite what he did. Asaph experienced the grace of God. And we all know that Asaph experienced the grace of God only because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He took on the punishment for all of Asaph's sins, all of your sins and mine. And he took away, he turned away, Christ turned away the wrath of God for our doubts, our jealousy, our envy. He took it all upon himself so that God could hold your right hand and mine in your time of jealousy and mine. This is the grace of God. And grace is a life-changing experience. And it was grace that Asaph experienced in the sanctuary of God. Let me tie all of this together by making a couple of points in closing and then I'll close in prayer. Two things to tie it all up together before we close. First, we need to bring our doubts and confusion into God's presence. We need to bring our envy and our jealousy into God's presence. In the beginning, Asaph wrestled with all these doubts by himself. And as verse 16 tells us, he found it burdensome. The weight of these doubts, the weight of, of seeing what was wrong with the world was just too heavy for him to bear. But when he took his doubts and his confusion into God's sanctuary, only then did he find relief. And like Asaph, we all wrestle with similar doubts. We all wrestle with similar frustrations. We all experience the same envy when we see the ungodly do far better than us in life. And the lesson we have here from the psalm this morning is that we need to process our doubts and our frustrations with God. There are two wrong responses in dealing with the difficult questions that life throws at us. The first wrong response is to try and figure it out by ourselves. And that's what Asaph tried. But if we try to do this without God's help, we might very well, very likely end up being disillusioned. As we keep trying to figure this out ourselves and we're not able to find the answers, it's quite possible that our faith in Jesus itself might be weakened. That's the first wrong response. The second wrong response is that we just ignore these difficult questions. We cast them aside. We, we bury them. We, we just become too busy in our pursuit of success. We, we just become too busy in getting what we want in life that we don't pause in, our, in the busyness of our lives to consider these questions, to wrestle with these questions in, in our hearts. And there could be many questions. Why is there so much suffering? Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening to me? So many questions and we, we, we feel those questions for a moment. We feel the weight of those questions for a moment. But so often we just bury those questions. We, we keep them aside and we move on with life. If we keep doing that, slowly, slowly 
these unanswered questions, these unaddressed questions are going to plant a slice of doubt in our hearts. And if we don't deal with these questions, as we saw earlier, we're quite likely to become like the people that we feel we shouldn't be. And that's why it's so important that we don't brush these questions aside. It's so important we don't bury these questions. It's so important that every question that perplexes our hearts, every question that shakes our faith, every question that makes us anxious and worried, we must bring it into the presence of God. We must bring these questions that bother us into God's sanctuary. And here's the beautiful thing. And I think this is the real nub of the psalm. There are many ways, there are many pathways in which we can come to this place of restful contentment in God that is of experience. That's what we saw at the beginning of, at the beginning of this message, the last part of the psalm. Asaph's expression, declaration of contentment and delight in God. There are many pathways through which we can arrive at a place where we can truthfully declare that there is nothing on earth that we desire besides God. There are many pathways to get to this place, but surprisingly, one of the pathways to get to this place of deep contentment is the pathway of doubt and confusion. You know, we began the sermon looking at the delight Asaph had in his heart for God. And he came to this place of delight by walking this path of doubt and confusion, of envy and jealousy. But he walked it, he processed all this in the presence of God. And so this is the big idea of the psalm. Our doubt and our confusion can actually build our faith if we process them in God's presence. Our doubt and our confusion can actually build our faith if we process them in God's presence. You know, in those days, in King David's days, Asaph, Asaph had a, a physical tabernacle that served as God's sanctuary. And it was only later that Solomon built. Uh, so in King Asaph's time, uh, God's sanctuary was a tabernacle. It was a physical sanctuary. So when the psalm says, I went into God's sanctuary, Asaph literally went himself, pulled himself from wherever he was, what he was doing, and he physically entered this sanctuary to meet with God, to enjoy the presence of God. But what about us? What is God's sanctuary for us? And that's the second thing that I want to share with us as, we, as I tie it all up in closing. Jesus is our sanctuary. You know, Asaph had to go somewhere outside to a specific physical space or tabernacle to go into the sanctuary of God. But because of Christ Jesus' great sacrifice for us on the cross, two things happen. First, we now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we now experience a union with Christ. We are united with Christ. And second, because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, because of his death, because of his resurrection, God poured out his Holy Spirit to live in us. And his Holy Spirit lives in us and he makes us alive to our union with Christ. And because 
Jesus is our sanctuary, we can be in the sanctuary every moment of our lives through our union with Christ. Jesus is our sanctuary and we are in union with Christ. And so Jesus can be our sanctuary every moment of our life. Um, about three, four days ago, as part of my consulting work with, with a leading business newspaper, I was in a Zoom meeting. Yes, Zoom meetings still continue. It, it was a crazy meeting. Like there were three, four different stakeholders uh, and uh, each stakeholder was pulling in a different direction. You read between the text, you read beneath the text, you could clearly see that different people in that room had a different agenda. I had mine, of course. And, and so the meeting was going all over the place and everyone was pushing and pulling and shoving and grabbing, trying to, trying to get his or her agenda uh, to, to be done. And, and there I was in, in the midst of all, all, all the chaos. I, I didn't know what to do. It was not an easy meeting. I'm sure you have your experiences with such meetings and experiences as well. But somewhere in the middle of the meeting, by God's grace, with the help of the Holy Spirit, somewhere I was able to cling to Jesus as my sanctuary. I was able to go and hide in Christ Jesus in the middle of the meeting. You see, Christ was my sanctuary right in the middle of that chaotic Zoom meeting. I didn't have to go anywhere. I could experience Christ as my sanctuary right in the middle of the Zoom call because the Spirit of God enabled me to experience my union with Christ. And in the midst of that chaotic meeting, as I embraced Christ, my sanctuary, the path of my doubt became the path of my faith. And this is what Asaph is trying to teach us through all of the psalm. Our doubts and our confusion can actually build our faith if we process them in God's presence. Our doubt and our confusion can actually build our faith if only we would process these doubts in the very presence of God, in the sanctuary of God. Let us pray. Our Father, we repent, Lord. We repent that even though uh, a dozen things bother us, even though we are upset and bitter and even broken at many things in life, we do not consider it worthwhile to bring it into your presence. Our lives, our careers, our finances, our marriages, our parenting, uh, our friendships, everything, Lord. And so many questions we have, so many doubts we struggle with. More often than not, we bury them, we ignore them, we overlook them, and we do not bring it into your presence to process it with you, Lord. Forgive us, and we pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, we would experience, we would uh, remember this reality that Jesus is our sanctuary, and that every moment, we have the sanctuary in which we can run to. So help us, Lord. 
help us may the path of my our doubts may the path of a confusion become the path of our faith we worship you in jesus name we pray amen amen